I like that line that you repeated at the end, all who have sailed on the rivers of heartache come to the sea and be set free. It makes me think of uh, like, you know, you're a salmon and you're kicking, trying to get upstream, but a river's always, they go downstream and they end up, you know, in the sea or the ocean. And and there's that that feeling of like where, where all of our lives are sitting there and we're like, you know, going against the flow. And if we would just stop and just get carried where we're supposed to go, on the rivers of God's love, that things would be better. But that's not this sermon. This sermon begins with a song that my father taught me. Uh, apparently he was a YMCA like leader back when he was in college, I think. He would uh, take kids on um, trips to like climb up mountains, long uh, hikes, and one of the things that you do when you're on a long hike with YMCA kids is you've got to keep them interested. You've got to keep them from realizing how bored they are. And so you come up with songs, songs that you sing. And uh, when I was a young boy, even as early maybe five or six, I learned this song. We would sing it on our long car trips up to my grandparents' uh, ranch. And it's called Johnny Rebeck. I don't know if you know this song. It's a, it's a really pleasant little tune. Uh, it's about how the sausage gets made. Yeah, um, and here's the chorus. It says, oh, Mr. Johnny Rebecca, how could you be so mean? I told you you'd be sorry for inventing that machine. Now all the neighbors, cats, and dogs will never more be seen. For they're all begun, they'll all be ground to sausages in Johnny Rebecca's machine. <laughs> Little Johnny had a really great side business um, on the neighborhood block. He uh, would make these wonderful sausages that tasted just like the Netherlands. That's where he's from. He's Dutch, uh, like my wife. And uh, in, in the Netherlands, apparently, they have great sausages, and he had the, he'd figured out the, um, the way to do it. And people noticed, as he kept making sales, that the uh, neighborhood cats and dogs seemed to be disappearing. Yeah, it's uh, really great. I mean, I think the last verse, uh, Johnny Rebecca ends up going into his sausage grinder. A happy song, one that you want to teach your six-year-old. That's my dad! Exposing me to a lot of stuff, maybe a little early. Um, but it's, the, the song is cute, but it's, it's, uh, it's cute in a, in a way that it highlights something that we're all very familiar with, and that's we're all wondering how the sausage gets made. You know, we, we go to the butcher shop or we go to the grocery store, and we're just wondering, where did that come from? But it's not just limited to sausages, of course. It's, uh, it goes beyond that. Um, we often wonder, maybe uh, in our current context especially, how it is that the uh, laws and the uh, rules by which we are being governed get made. Because sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the legislators who are doing it. Um, and, and, and so we begin to wonder, well, how does the sausage get made? What's, it going, what's going on behind the scenes in, in the hallways and the corridors of power? People that, you know... We're not fit to kiss their rings, of course, but, but if we were, what, would it be interesting to peek behind the curtain? Yes. There's even a show apparently on Netflix, which I have not seen, called House of Cards. And the premise of the show is that there's some high-powered politician, and it's absolutely gut-wrenchingly, mind-blowingly insane what this guy is willing to do to hold on to and to keep and to augment his power. And so the thrill of the show is seeing, oh, how far is, is this? I think it's him and his wife or something like that. Uh, how far are they willing to go? Are, are they really willing to go to, to neighbor Betsy's house and, and snag her beautiful little golden retriever and dump that thing right into the machine? Is that how the sausage gets made? 
And the premise of the show is, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, unfortunately, Luke agrees. The scriptures agree. Um, you don't have no cheats, but uh, you can follow with me uh, on the screens as, as we read uh, today. We're, we're covering a little bit of ground that uh, Neil uh, covered three weeks ago. Um, but this, I'm taking a, a part of the, the scriptures that didn't really impact his message, and I'm just kind of highlighting how they fit in with, with the, the text today. It's a little bit longer, so if you get tired and, and, you, and you can't stand, don't. But please start standing, and let's read how the world makes peace. How the sausage gets made. Beginning in verse 8. Now when Herod Antipas saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him. Uh, because he had, done, had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. As Neil pointed out three weeks ago, it was a dog and pony show. Herod wanted to sort of make fun of the sport. Entertain me, clown. And then, and then he questioned it with many words. But Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a wonderful, gorgeous robe, sent him back to Pontius Pilate. And and, and notice that that very day, Pilate and Herod became fast friends with each other. Previously, they'd been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have not, I've found no fault with this guy concerning those things that you're saying. He's done some stuff, but not that stuff. And no, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death was done by him. I will therefore punish him brutally and release him, because I'm a great guy. For it was necessary for him, Pilate, to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, give us Barabbas. He's a murderer. He's been thrown into prison for a rebellion in the city and for murder. And Pilate, looking at the two, thinking, which is worse, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them a third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. So I'll therefore punish him brutally and let him go. Right, guys? But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested and he released to them the one they requested for who, for who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. You may be seated. You might be wondering. You might be wondering if you're a follower of Jesus, a sympathizer. You haven't been privy to any of this that's been going on. You've been kind of outside. But you, you wake up and you find out that, that Jesus is going to end up on a cross. And you're wondering, how did that happen? What? I just, just, we were celebrating uh, supper last night. Jesus has been incredible, teaching wonderful, powerful things in the temple. And now this? What happened? How did this sausage get made? Well, everyone, the, the people in power, there's three groups. There's three groups. There's Herod, 
uh, and we'll meet them all there in, in, in turn. There's Herod. There's the bu- business and religious elites um, called the elders, but we'll, we'll see that in a second. And then there's the uh, um, and then there's Pilate. So there's these three groups: Herod, the business and the religious elites, and Pilate. And they're all just trying to keep the peace. You know, they're just trying to keep things working. Uh, Herod Antipas, uh, we, we know um, what he was about. Uh, before Jesus' time, um, Herod Antipas, his dad was Herod the Great. Herod the Great um, sort of improved the second temple, made it a lot nicer. And so when he died, he bequeathed his kingdom in three parts to his three sons, um, one of which was not Pontius Pilate. We'll get to that in a second. Herod uh, Antipas, uh, the youngest son, inherited the northern kingdom. So he rules in Galilee, kind of where uh, Jesus is from. And that's sort of why Pilate says, well, he's one of your guys. You deal with him. Um, Herod uh, knows that his position is not particularly secure. Uh, In fact, in 39 AD, Herod is going to be removed from power. He's going to be exiled. Why? He crossed the wrong dude at the wrong time, owed the wrong people money, and so he got sent off, and he dies in exile, loses everything he has. His position is precarious. He's worried. And when you're in a precarious position and you're worried, what do you need to do? You need to make friends with the people who are not in a precarious position. Friends with the people who have power, who have a lot of money. And so we notice in, in, in the middle of our text that, that, that incredible little aside where Luke's like, hey, and that very day, Herod and Pilate became pals. And you wonder why that is. What is it about? What, I mean, Herod, he kind of just punted, right? He's like, I don't know. I made fun of him, beat him up a little bit, dressed him in a robe to you know, amuse people, and sent him back to Pilate. I mean, what, what, what is that? Herod wants to make friends. Herod knows that Pilate's in a bind. Pilate has to keep um, the business and religious elites happy because they kind of run the show. They pull the puppet strings here in Jerusalem. And they're upset with Pilate right now. They need something done. Pilate doesn't particularly want to do it. And so Herod gives him a template for how you uh, take care of a situation like this. Herod knows the Jews. He's actually from uh, this, this place. He's not an outsider. He's not a foreigner. So he knows how it works here. And so he gives an example. Well, what you do is you make fun of him. You tear him down. You, you, you spit on him. You laugh at him. You mock him. So the business and religious elites, they don't have to worry about him anymore because he's been you know, crushed. And you don't have to kill him because that's going to be bad. Think about it. all the people that Jesus has impressed, all the people who love him, who are following him. They're all in Jerusalem, gathered for the Passover. The last thing you want to do is crucify this guy and start a riot. You want to keep the peace. You want to keep everything status quo, flat. You want to make friends. What's the easy way to do it? Just kick him around a little bit. Just laugh at him, spit on him. Make jokes at his expense. And then you can sort of get out of the situation, Pilate. Just do what I do. See how well I've done. Pilate looks at that and says, Effective. I like it. That will keep the peace. And that is how the sausage gets made. Herod makes friends with Pilate. He's a little more secure. And it only costs one guy his dignity. There's another group, uh, the religious and business elites. And these people, or I'm sorry, the chief priests, uh, the rulers and the people, I, I've started to term them the business and religious elites. Um, we might wonder, uh, in, in, the, in the text, 
it calls, it calls them the people, right? And that might be a little strange for us. We might be thinking, wait a minute, the people? Aren't the people on Jesus' side? Okay, the chief priests, that makes sense. Um, the rulers, okay, yeah, I can see why they wouldn't like Jesus. But the people? Surely, surely the people are on Jesus' side. Well, I want to suggest to you a couple reasons to think no. Uh, and, not, and, and it's not that the people who've been following Jesus have turned on him. It's not as though Jesus' followers have suddenly decided, you're awful, we're going to get you. It's that something else is, is happening you know, we've seen a couple places in the Gospel of Luke where people don't like Jesus. Luke 4, for example, he says uh, some stuff. This has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing. And all the people in the town run him out and try and throw him off a cliff. Sometimes Jesus upsets people. But really, I think the, uh, the most important uh, aspect of this is really that, uh, that when it says people, it's already been identified for us in Luke who these people are. Um, and th- th- those people are actually um, what we might call elders, um, uh, we actually get the word from Greek, presbyterian, presbyteros, that's uh, elder or, or leader. And, and it's sort of, it's sort of, a, sort of a, a way of thinking about people who are, um, you know, in charge. They're not actually officially in charge of anything. They just kind of have uh, influence because they've been successful or they're respected. Um, you might think. You might think, uh, and, th- and that word is used in uh, Luke twenty-two fifty-two when uh, we're talking about the arrest of Jesus. It's it's the chief priests, the captains of the temple, um, which means rulers, and then uh, the elders, and they're the ones who come for Jesus. We might think of these elders in contemporary terms as something like, say, um, the teachers' union in California, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the teachers' union has a lot of pull around here, which is a good thing because my wife happens to be. Uh, in public education, and so all of that power that they've acquired goes right into my pocketbook. When we, it's amazing, we, um, sometimes our kids get sick, and so we go to the doctor, and normal people, when you go to the doctor, you kind of wait in line, um, and then you have to pay a lot of money. It's interesting, when we walk in the door, a red carpet comes out, and, and uh, sort of confetti falls uh, from the ceiling, and, oh, sir, welcome, 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 yes, uh, no, your money's no good here, sir, the finest of care for you. Well, thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate that. And thank you, Teachers Union, because you've, you've garnered a lot of power and a lot of influence here in the state of California. Likewise, you might think of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, represent, uh, it represents the interests of, of a, a small business elite, people who've, who've done really well. And, and they have a lot of interest in maintaining that. And that's kind of what elders are. They're, they don't have any official capacity, but their unofficial capacity gives them the power to what you might say, lobby. And so this group is a part. And you can see how this group isn't the people, the same way we might think of the people. Uh, The people, when they've been following Jesus, they don't have much pull at all. And so I think we can say that when Luke says the people, he's not talking about what we might think. And they've uh, noticed that they've accused Jesus of, uh, of misleading Right, they, that's the. Um, I, I think I, I termed it incites the people to rebellion. I think I retranslated it there. We know that that's what Luke is talking about. If you look at Luke twenty three uh, one to two, uh, then the whole multitude of them arose around and led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, "We found this fellow misleading the nation, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Messiah, a king." Uh oh. You can see how that quickly turns into incites to rebellion. Not paying taxes to Caesar? That's dangerous. 
claiming himself to be a king? Pilate, you should be very interested in that. You're here to represent the one king, Augustus. I think it's still Augustus. Notice, notice interesting that these are like, they're bald-faced lies. We've just had Jesus teaching in the temple. He's like, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Like, don't, I mean, I don't care about that. I'm not here to start a revolution. I'm not here to change the way, you know, that the economy works. That's just not, that's not what I'm interested in. But, but these people, you know, the, the chief priests, the rulers, the elders, they know. They know that if you want to get Pilate's ear, we'll talk to them about things that Pilate cares about. Taxes. Uh, this is in, this is not uh, they're not pulling this out of nowhere, and they know this is going to get Pilate's ear. We know a number of times, even when Pilate first started becoming a prefect in, in the southern area of, of Israel, one of the first things he did is he got into a, a, a spat with some Samaritans who wanted more independence, and he just massacred them. He sent he has about three thousand Roman troops that he can deploy as he wills, and so he he does, and uh, the Samaritans get wiped out, and the Jews are incensed. They're like, look. That is not how you work here. And so Pilate almost gets ejected from power right after he takes over because he makes a mistake. He, he missteps, right? He knows the last thing that you do uh, if you want to stay in, in, in power is upset things. Caesar get, gets mad at him because he's like, I don't want to hear it from these Jews. Um, I don't want to hear all the complaints. I, I, want, I want nothing. I want to hear nothing from this place. Your job is to keep everything status quo, keep the money flowing, make sure they don't, you know, blaspheme against me. Just, just keep it. Keep the lid on it, Pilate. Pilate learned his lesson. And so he gets really, really worried when someone might be misleading the people, inciting them to rebellion. And it's not like the, the chief priests and the rulers and the elders, the business and religious elites, it's not like they're actually preventing a rebellion. They know there isn't one. But they do also know that Jesus is in the business of inviting people to the kingdom of God. And it just so happens that the kingdom of God is not compatible with making money off of people who want to pray. It's not compatible with the way things are done in Jerusalem. There's an apple cart of of comfortable status and power and money for the religious and business elites, and it's about to get turned upside down. And they need to stop that. And so outwardly they tell Pilate, we're trying to stop this because we love you so much. This rebellion. But secretly they're plotting to secure why. And that is their stuff. It's deceit, but the lies are believable. They're expedient. They couch what they want. Namely, Jesus dead in the language of of peace and justice and honor. Think about that. We're just, this this guy, he's misleading the people. He's starting a rebellion. We got it. The last thing we want is that. Caesar's great. We love Caesar. His rule has been great for us. And it's it's great for everybody. And Pilate, we're just trying to, we're just trying to maintain that. You know, we don't want to upset anything. We want peace. We want justice. And all it takes is just us killing this one guy. 
That's the second group. There's Herod. Herod wants to keep the people happy because he wants to maintain his popularity. He doesn't want to get ejected from power. If the people get upset, Caesar's going to come and knock Herod out. Then there's the business and religious elites, and, and they want to keep everything the same because they like selling stuff at the temple, and they're interested in continuing that. There's a third group, and that's Pilate. Pilate, like I said, he's a prefect. Uh, he, his jurisdiction is roughly Jerusalem and Samaria. He's not a Jewish. His predecessor was. His predecessor was actually Herod's brother. Um, Herod's brother did some naughty stuff. Caesar took care of him and put in a foreigner, Pilate, to keep the peace. Keep the peace. His job is just to keep the taxes flowing, keep the people under control. You notice I translated, um, you, you might, uh, if you have the New King James, it says that, says Pilate, it kind of softens Pilate a little bit. It's like, oh, um, Pilate talking about what he's going to do to Jesus. I'll just chastise him and then release him. Well, chastise is not the right way to translate that. Uh, I put it, punish him brutally. Um, that's because what Pilate's doing is in keeping with what Herod's already done. Contempt, mock. You know. But Pilate's going to take it to the next level because that's what he does. All he has is um, a bunch of uh, troops at his disposal. And so he's going to whip Jesus and beat him with clubs to the point you know, of death just to make sure that nobody ever follows this misshapen fool again. And he's going to let him go. Uh, in the tradition, if you're familiar with it, you, you might remember Pilate as being sort of like a wishy-washy kind of guy. And you can see that in this text. He's like, hey, people, let's release Jesus. And they're like, no. And he's like, release Jesus. No, release Jesus. Crucify him. Okay. Kind of like, ah, uh, back and forth. That's not what's going on. Pilate's not wishy-washy in any way. We know he's not from history. We know that he uh, <laughs> had plenty of blood on his hands. His issue is that, like everybody else, Herod and the business and religious elites, he is 100% committed to the status quo. He wants to keep Caesar happy. He wants to keep the people quiet. He wants to keep taxes flowing. And in order to do that, who does he have to keep happy? The business and religious elites. They run the temple. They run the businesses. If they're not happy, they're going to start causing foment. They're going to put the people into an uproar. They're going to cause him major, major issues. And so he's got to placate them. But at the same time, he's also worried about the population in Jerusalem, all gathered for the Passover, all, a lot of people who love Jesus, really excited about his ministry, including even Herod. Herod's kind of interested, you know. So he's got, he's got all the, he's worried about on the one hand, the business and religious elites. On the other hand, all the people who follow Jesus. And so he, he wants a nice, equitable solution that keeps them down and them happy and then we can all move on with our lives so I'm just going to beat this guy senseless and then we'll all be good, right? Well, like we said, that's not going to work for the, the BREs, the business and religious elites. So Pilate says, fine. And I love, I love the language in verse 24 when Pilate really capitulates. It says, so Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. I mean, does it get any more bureaucratic and passive and smarmy and wishy-washy than that? Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. Oh, fine, your request is granted. Do with, what, do with him what you will. Pilate released to them the one they requested, rebellion and murder, but delivered Jesus to their will. Just do what you want, guys. You know? The, the honest way to talk about it would be like, all right, fine. Torture him to death. Great. Even though he's obviously innocent, and we all know that he's not a threat to anyone. Instead, it's let it be as you request. 
Pilate, like everybody else, wants the things to go away, wants to put it under the rug, keep the status quo flat, no upsets. No, and, 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 if, and if one guy has to get tortured to death, well, that's the cost of doing business. And that's how the sausage gets made. Um, I wish that I could say that I believed it's different now. Uh, But I don't. I think this is how the world makes peace. The world is comprised of a whole bunch of people with competing needs, desires, um, and and for security and to maintain what they have. And, And the world is willing, when the time is right and the situations are right, to come up with a scapegoat. Sometimes one small person, one small group, one small minority, one small weak uh, defenseless group gets kicked to the side and gets crucified so that we can keep the peace. Christians, I worry that we are entering into a situation where unbelievably we may be, become, may, may be becoming that, that group. The group that's gumming up the works. The group that's keeping things from operating as they should. The, the, the group that's, that's, that's causing those who are above and powerful to get concerned that they're going to lose what they have. The, the group that's too loud, that's too dangerous. The, the group that, for whatever reason, doesn't fit in anymore. And I worry that the world, well, I know how the world works. Luke told me. I know how the world works. I know how the sausage gets made out there. And and, and Christians, I worry that we're about to get ground up in Johnny Rebecca's machine. That scares me. It scares me that I will no longer be allowed to simply do what I believe God is asking me to do or think what I believe God is asking me to think or act in the ways that God is asking me to act. We may not be in those days, and I pray that we're not. But if we are, take heart. The interesting thing, what, we, what Luke doesn't tell us is that, uh, you know, the people who uh, did all this stuff, right? There's, the, there's Herod, and there's Pilate, and there's the business and the religious elites. You know what's cool about what happened to all of them? They all got murdered. They all died. They all got theirs. Actually, the wheels of justice turned. God was not not looking at what was going on. And God had in mind for them a just end. Herod exiled and executed. Um, I'm sorry, Pilate exiled and executed. Herod, um, oh no, he was exiled and executed too. Uh, but the business and religious elites, well, um, they, uh, they all died during the, um, the sack of Jerusalem uh, when the Romans had finally had enough of them causing a ruckus. It's not our place to take vengeance. It's not our place to take justice into our own hands. But it is our place to know that those who seek to crucify us, God will watch, and he will not let them go. More importantly, the message of this text is that, you know, there's all this awfulness going on. There's all this sausage being made in such 
backhanded and smarmy and wishy-washy and passive-aggressive ways. There's all this, all this going on. And yet, if we take the big picture, as Luke has so often, and if we look at what's really going on, you know, Satan thinks he's making the best kind of sausage. He thinks he's grinding Jesus up. But through that, God says, you know what? You think you're doing something awful. You think you're creating just a whole pile of manure. I take manure, and my job is to make flowers grow out of it. You think you're going to destroy me? You think you're going to stop me because you can persecute and exile and, and, and murder this one man? You think your torture has the last word? It doesn't have the last word. My resurrection has the last word. My spirit, which is in my people, will be in my people. That has the last word. Just because, Christians, it seems as though the, the culture at large is starting to have less and less time for us, less and less willingness to listen to us, does not mean that God will not take what persecution we must endure and make beautiful things come from it. This church, and I, Big C Church, the global church, was built on who? Martyrs. Our willingness to praise God and forgive those who do hard things to us is what, the power, is what God uses in his spirit's power to make the church grow and flourish. Christians, if the sausage is getting made, the ones doing it will get theirs. And God will take what they do and make beautiful things come from it. Let's pray. Father, as we enter a time uh, where it seems as though the church is increasingly under attack, where Christians are increasingly exiled, where we are increasingly marginalized, where we seem to be more and more of a thorn in the paw of those who rule. God, we pray that we will have heart knowing that your Savior our Lord has been there first, that your justice will be done in your time, and that you are in the business of making salvation grow from sausage. God, give us the strength and the courage to be faithful to your word, to your revelation, and to the cross that we have adopted as a symbol of who you are. Empower us by your spirit not to be afraid. Empower us by your spirit to love one another and build one another up in the midst of, of whatever may come. In the name of Jesus, whose example we follow, we pray. Amen.